I've worked with a lot of characters that are unhinged. I've played characters that are unhinged. That's my job. That's a quote from Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, a great actor, a real favorite of mine. And of course, he, uh, after battling substance abuse on and off for years, he died of a heroin overdose in uh, 2014 at 46 years old. Uh, so that was a big loss, and he had been abusing uh, lots and lots of drugs. Uh, in, they ended up finding in the system uh, heroin, clonazepam, um, amphetamines, uh, just a whole concoction. So uh, he just uh, couldn't medicate enough. So another one that suffered to mental uh, illness, and that's why we're here advocating so R.I.P. to Philip Seymour Hoffman, and uh, let's start the show. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Don't make a bit of sense to me. If that's what being crazy is, then I'm senseless, out of it, gone down the road, wacko. But no more, no less. Welcome to Unhinged, episode 27, recorded October 2nd, 2016. How's it going, Mr. DBS? Very well, Mr. PYT. (laughs) P-O-T, because I'm old, not young. Although that spells pot. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Yes. Uh, So, as you know, I've been pretty busy with work, and you've had a few trying days lately. Uh, So... Can you catch me up? What's been going on? You want to just dive right into that pool, don't you? I do. Uh, well, let's do that. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, a couple of days we're trying. Um, I put a post up. I was going to go up and do an open mic night mm-hmm. to kind of test my, um, just to kind of go the complete opposite way with with everything and um, prove something, whatever it is. It may be a little mania involved. Um, but it it just uh, frightened the hell out of me, mm. so I'm not ready for that. It was uh, too big of a step. I don't need to prove anything, you know. So um, it just had uh, made for an uncomfortable day, so I canceled that. Uh, and then I was struggling at the end of the month, um, uh, waiting to get uh, my campaign funds in. So I, I I had several days where I just didn't eat so right. it was um a combination of uh, a lot of uh, heightened anxiety with just being pissed off at the situation and right. um and i will use that to, to fuel my advocating um but uh, i knew uh, neurologically things were fine i, I didn't you know I, I felt it was working i was just i was just on edge just kind of pissy and and um you know, short, yeah. uh, tempered, and um, but uh, now I'm I'm back and it's it's holding up. It's been since the thirtieth um, of uh, of the last month, uh, or the thirty first, I think, the end of August. Wow. And tomorrow I'm going to the hospital to have my follow up. Um, so, uh, so the the anxiety that you um, you felt uh, this past week was. Uh, mostly due to external factors. You know, one was the financial situation and the other was that you had signed up for an open mic night 
that uh, you then felt unprepared for or like it was too big a step. Um, so, well, you know, it's it kind of like, you know, so if you think about it, it's kind of like the, the DBS can't do everything. I mean, of course. this is, you know, uh, these are, are um, you know, neurons run amok um, and just not, you know, your brain not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So the DBS is trying to, um, trying to make up for that. And I'll get into that a little bit uh, sh mm -hmm. shortly, but um, so um, the DBS again, it can do enough so that it gives me the ability to take over the rest mm -hmm. and to deal with situations more confidently and, and slowly and be able to, just to to think things out cognitively and um so i think it you know it, it was working so that i had the ability to bring uh, that heightened anxiety down i'll always have a low level anxiety but mm -hmm. you know for me that's you know that's just like having the burps you know <laughs> so it's it's nothing so um, i'm fine i'm ready to go in tomorrow i made um several app appointments uh, to meet with some important people this week uh, about the uh, getting to uh, peer support and getting my uh, license there and excellent just trying to take uh, steps forward and and you know um, headed in the right direction and start volunteering um, mm -hmm. so um, definitely making some some good progress well and that's definitely where your strength lies right now and I think the peer support is like the perfect position for you. Um you know you've been through it all, you you know what it's like and you can relate to people who are going through it now. And No, it's, it's there's no question and I I just I have uh, you know I I fortunately um and again, I think that's that's why I'm still here is that, you know, the other parts just, you know, had a plan. Yeah. They just, you know, the other guys just never showed up. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, I have the ability to to penetrate and, and um, affect people that the doctors can't uh, mm -hmm. because of firsthand, you know, uh, empathy and just, you know, real be able to get right into their psyche. Yeah. Understanding um, what they're going through. Uh, yeah, from, and I just know when and uh, what to say, um, and and make you know adjustments and and be empathetic and um, you know this, be aware of the stigma and the prejudice. And so it's uh, it, it, like you say, it is incredibly natural from for me. And I I predict mm -hmm. if all goes well, um, I'm going to be one hell of a peer support uh, worker for sure. So then, what what are the next steps to to become a peer uh, support worker? Well, I've already had the experience doing it and practicing it. And um, now it's just a matter of working with an organization uh, or two um, as a peer support uh, and advocate um, and just having, you know, sort of uh, time spent. Um, and then uh, you send in a formal letter with your story and, and what your, you know, intentions are and goals and, um, you know, I qualify for everything. I've been through everything. I've been to hell and back and survived. And now I'm preaching hope and advocacy. And I know what needs to be adjusted and changed, uh, in order for more people to get help. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, uh, it fits like a glove. 
Excellent. Like a well, good fitting glove, not like the OJ one. <laughs> you know? Right. So it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of juiced just talking about it. That's great. I mean, yeah. I think that's, that's going to do wonders for, for your psyche as well. And it's, you know, uh, with, with everything, it's, you know, again, I'm just like a child. So what I do in, in an hour, you know, I learn and, and absorb a lot more than you do in an hour as far as new, fresh things. So mm -hmm. for me, it'll also be just getting back out, socializing um, and networking, which, you know, obviously the socialization is the, the necessary psychology that I need. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, of course, I want to be able to meet the right people to talk about my story and get it out there um, and just, you know, keep keep moving forward. Well, that's great. And, and I think uh, it's pretty obvious how uh, the, the DBS has been uh, changing your behaviors lately, because I, I mean, just the, the mere fact that you even signed up for a, a comedy open mic night. Uh, is something you never even would have considered signing up for in the past. Right. Um, granted, I think you're right. I think it was maybe too big a step to do right away, uh, especially if you have any sort of anxiety issues. Like, I I would love to do stand-up comedy, but I am scared shitless to do it. <laughs> well, uh, and, you know, it's... It, it, you never know. It could be just something you do and have like a mild heart attack and never do it again. Mm -hmm. Or you just realize that adrenaline fed you and you were great. Yeah. We've had that with music. So um, it's the kind of thing you should probably try too because it's it's a healthy thing for you to to learn. I don't think it's going to be negative and you won't be you know, pissed at yourself. That's not you. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think it would be it would be a lot of fun. I would have to be really really prepared though uh i'm not good at just going up on a stage and winging it so um that's that's where my anxiety comes in because uh you know i you know how i like magic right i do mm -hmm. magic tricks oh, yeah. and stuff like yeah. that but when i try to show a trick to someone i get so nervous that my hands shake and yeah. and it's stupid because i'm i'm like i'm trying to show a a, a trick to my wife and no one else is around. And I'm like, ooh, I just learned this trick. Let me show her. And suddenly I get all nervous and my hands start shaking. And I'm like, why? She's not well, going <laughs> to. There, there are things that you can do to, to work on that. And, and I can tell you a few of those things. But they're, you know, they're brain tricks, brain games, mm -hmm. um, you know, luminosity type stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah. more, more classic um, type things and what you're telling yourself and um, you know, what's reality, what isn't. Right. Uh, and it's a, basically cognitive behavioral therapy and, and, and just, yeah. you know. Well, it's, uh, it's so, a, a stage fright sort of fear that, uh, we that always had have. that with the band and then yeah. just, you start playing and. Although I feel much more know. comfortable in a band on stage then okay, so you're not, it's not just you. You're it's not, not just you, you know, exactly. Standing there naked and yeah, 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 yeah. And I, so I was, I made the decision not to. It's just too big of a step because, you know, if it affects my amygdala in such a way, you know, if I just panic and I get very upset, and you know, I'll be able to to put the mask on and ride through it like I've done mm -hmm. in a lot of very 
troubling situations. But I'm afraid that it could actually uh, have a neurological uh, negative effect, mm. and uh, uh, I'm too scared of that. So uh, there's no need to take a chance like that. And yeah, uh, not at this stage. I mean, I, no. I still think it's something you could do and do and excel at, uh, and it's just yeah, and a just write of... about it and have a little bit more prepared, right? Uh, you know, and and think about it and and start you know just sort of uh, practicing and you mm -hmm. know. Uh, doing that and and you know again baby yeah. steps exactly yeah I, I mean you were braver than i was because i i would never sign up for an open mic comedy night without having a full routine prepared and practiced to a t well that's the difference between uh, what we call the normals and adhd people mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, we don't have that we just we just go and we go off Right. Uh, a la Robin Williams, just, you know, stream of consciousness go. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and that's uh, like we mentioned before. Uh, that's why a lot of comedians actually do have uh, certain mental illnesses or, you know, some anxiety and stuff like that. And having, you know, them go through that in their lifetime makes them a good comedian, which is funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's it's um, it's tragic and great at the same time. Yeah, because you're you're made perfect for that, but then you're just basically going out and just to be judged, right? You know, and and it's just you know by all the people that you could never relate to, ever. So yep. um, it's it's silent and deadly. That's that's it's a scary thing. Yeah, so that's why you know it just wasn't worth uh, you know taking a chance, and mm -hmm. so. Um, but I got a lot, like I said, other things set up. Um, you know, fairly for me, a fairly busy week, um, and uh, uh, at the end of the week, I'll be meeting with uh, Nareet Adler, if you remember her from mm -hmm. um, one of her earlier shows, and she's going to come back on with us, uh, talk about some uh, some really cool issues uh, uh, in the next show. Yeah, on that note. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I just I just wanted to mention we had talked about um, having a, a special guest on today, uh, but again, due to scheduling conflicts, um, it's just the two of us today. Yeah, we're gonna have uh, Matt Maloney on. It should be within the next week or two. He travels a lot for uh, what he does, so yeah, um, it's uh, kind of tough to get him uh, grounded uh, and make sure that we have a good solid. Uh, connection and uh mm -hmm. for the show so um so but that's that's coming up and lot you know we'll talk about add and asperger's and autism and yep um, all that stuff yeah we have a few guests lined up uh we just have to nail down the actual scheduling um which seems to be the the hardest part of it yeah, yeah. and the waiting is also the hardest part yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I was going through um, some things, actually trying to organize myself and do a little bit of cleanup at home, mm -hmm. um, you know, step by step, but not trying to clean the whole place in an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, but I ran across um, something from March 9th, 2009. So it was uh, basically uh, my, the start of my career here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, and... It was from my uh, family doctor, my GP, um, who would refer me to 
uh, one of the premier uh, mental health facilities here, like CAMH. This is Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Um, and, you know, as I read through it, uh, he's saying thank you for referring this patient uh, with regards to diagnostic clarification as well as treatment recommendations. And I'm 39. I live in a basement apartment and uh, I was doing recruiting. Um, and it's, it just it goes on to say that uh, Mr. Rickle presents stating that he's been depressed for all my life, quote unquote. He said that he's angry and feels regret over his horrible life, which has consisted of multiple evictions, episodes of being fired from jobs, arrests, mm -hmm. drugs, everything. Um, he laments the fact that he has three siblings who lead a quote-unquote normal life, and he's been unable to. Um, he describes significant andonia, which is just that low-level de depression, um, mm -hmm. decreased energy, decreased concentration, and says the only thing that allows him to sleep and gives him any appetite is the marijuana that he has been smoking for uh, decades. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then it uh, basically uh, goes on to say that uh, um, I go to sleep saying I hope I don't wake up and uh, that, um, you know, I have a lot of suicidal ideation and, um, you know, it's, um, it's also talking about the social phobia and, and going on and, and on and on about that. Um, and it just, I, I wonder how I went to so many psychiatrists, and I'm not even saying psychologists because some of them would have, the good ones would have picked it up, but how these uh, trained medical uh, uh, practitioners and, and uh, people who study human behavior didn't think to send me for a full diagnostic round of, you know, testing, uh, you know, uh, neurologically, biochemically, uh, you know, just in every fashion. Right. Uh, and and I, it, it's like the, uh, we're fighting to try and get a diagnosis where if they would have done that first, that would have probably led to more um, things coming together like they have been lately for me. Right. So, just so they didn't even do, they didn't even do any brain scans or anything? Um, you know, I don't remember, I, I, um, but you know, it, 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 his basic summary at the end, it recommended a, a combination of a couple of different classes of medications and, and, you know, nothing else, mm -hmm. you know, and just, and follow up and, 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 you know, watching him and stuff, but you know, nowhere does it, do they go any further? Yeah. You know, I mean, why he's been suffering for years and years, never been normal, never been in, you know. Uh, so it's almost like I just want to go to this guy who's, you know, one of the, one of the big guys here uh, and very well known and just say, uh, well, yeah, you missed that one. Yeah. Well, you got to keep in mind, I, I wonder back then if they still thought, oh, we can treat this like we treat everyone else who has depression, uh, with drugs and some, we just haven't found the right one yet because that's, that's a, a typical pattern, right? Someone uh, is diagnosed with depression, they try this drug, then they try that drug, then they try that drug, and they're like, oh, I feel better now, and then that's what they stay with. And maybe at this point, they were thinking that they just haven't found the right treatment yet, the right drug. So maybe they didn't realize how severe your case was. Well, but I was 39 at the time, and I said, this is since birth. So, 
you know, for a guy who is, you know, uh, a professor at the uh, University of Toronto and uh, uh, the, you know, the head of the uh, Department of Psychiatry, um, you know, probably would have taken steps to at least um, do some kind of scanning, some kind mm -hmm. of, um, you know, look into it a little bit further. Uh, and I just wonder if some of it just might be time, um, you know, the social uh, health care and that they really, you know, just you have you have that 45 minutes to get it all in and hurry up and get it, squeeze it in. And they got to go. And right, uh, right. maybe there's just not enough time to think it through. And but they have such high opinions of themselves that they just, you know, say, all right, we're going to go with this. And, and, you know, yeah, well, it's they not their life. They have multiple patients. Uh, they have multiple levels of patients with different uh, issues. And you're right. There's there's only so many hours in the day. So uh, I you know I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt of saying, you know, we do what we can. And your case is is so severe and rare that they probably didn't think it needed any further. Um, study uh, beyond what they've already done for most of their other patients. Well, and that makes sense. Although somebody's been suffering that long and doing that badly, uh, you know, reaching very low, low levels, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, for so long, um, it would only make sense to do that uh, if time permitted and if resources permitted, mm -hmm. um, you know, but uh, you know, uh, I really think, um, you know, we're talking about um, 10 to 20 percent of people still are treatment resistant when it comes to depression. Uh, so these are people that need to be treated neurologically. We now know. And uh, the, the suicide rate is so high. So I don't think there's enough. Um, I mean, forget about the, the time they have. You, you got to make time or you're going to you know, be indirectly responsible for somebody's death. Are you, right. Exactly. Or one that you could have helped prevent, uh, you know, and, and make this more like, I, I don't know, it's like you're so far removed from uh, when you studied and when you had the, the, this passion and, and uh, interest on the subject and it just becomes a little bit kind of, I don't know, yeah. uh, clinical and just uh less scientific and less put less thought put into it what what do you think though is the threshold that the doctors will have to see you know to determine that this is uh a treatment resistant patient well i mean it, it's you know it had gone over that, that already at that time um i had um been taken every class of medication um and you know this has just gone on so long and i'd seen my first psychiatrist when i was nine years old um so um this is and again somebody who has you know he's saying has major depressive disorder has general anxiety social phobia um add mm -hmm. um, these are that's a lot of stuff going on in the brain yeah. for you to not want to look at it Right. Uh, so I think, in, you know, uh, I could easily convince him uh, with a friendly meet, uh, sit down that um, he probably, if he had to do it again, 
would have might have looked into it a little bit more. Yeah, or earlier yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because you can only put, you know I can put on a mask and and because I'm a nice guy and I want everyone to like me and you may not think it's that serious. But when I go in there, you know, I tell them just like it is. You know, and uh, because, or at least I have in the last bunch of years, because I mean, shit, I got to get to the bottom of this thing. Right. And, and I'm really surprised to say, I think we have, uh, which is, I really, really never thought there would be a possibility that I'd be able to say that. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty incredible. Well, and, and this is why we we're doing what we're doing because now we can get the word out. Uh, we have a voice here and, you know, hopefully other people who have treatment resistant depression for years and years and years don't have to wait as long as you did to get the proper diagnosis and the proper treatments. That's right. That's right. And which leads me into, uh, actually, uh, if you don't mind talking about, um, how DBS is doing, how the trial is doing, um, Mm -hmm. You know what's what's going on here. Um, uh, Dr. Andres Lozano is uh, um, head of uh, neurosurgery at uh, UHN and Toronto Western Hospital, and he's the one that did my brain surgery. And um, he, with Helen Mayberg, came out with uh, the idea of using um, this electrical stimulation and in, in finding area twenty-five, etc. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so some of this uh, that I'll be telling you is um, kind of paraphrasing a speech that he gave um, on TED, um, and he's he's quite a good speaker. He's he's a pretty funny guy, and you know, for uh, some guy who's a neurosurgeon, your left brain guy. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, this uh, neurosurgery's been around for seven thousand years, if you can believe that. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. But um, you know what's what's come about now uh, is just it's just incredible. Is that we we've come to realize that different parts of the brain do different things. So there are actual areas of the brain uh, that are dedicated to controlling your movement or your vision or your memory or appetite, and on and on. Mm-hmm. So when things work well, when the nervous system works well and everything functions, uh, but once in a while things don't go well and, you know, there's trouble in the circuitry and um, there's some rogue neurons that are misfiring and causing trouble or sometimes they're underactive and they're they're just not working as they should. Right. Um, So now um, the manifestation of this depends on... um, where in the brain these neurons are. So when these neurons are in your motor circuit, um, you get dysfunction in the movement system. Um, and if you have dysfunction in the movement system, that you would get things like Parkinson's. Right. If the malfunction is in a circuit that regulates your mood, you get things like depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's in circuits uh, that controls your memory and cognitive function, then you have things like Alzheimer's. So what they've been able to do is is to really um, uh, pinpoint where the disturbances are in the brain, um, so they they can intervene within the circuits of the brain to either turn them up or turn them down. 
uh, it's very much like choosing the right station on the radio dial. Right. So, you know, once you, once you choose the right station, whether it be rock or jazz or whatever, um, in their case, uh, if it's mood or movement, uh, they can put the dial there and then they can use a second button to adjust the volume to turn it up or turn it down. So are you, are you talking specifically about, uh, DBS about how yes. they're using that? Okay. So exactly. in other words, if you have, uh, you know, motor trouble, then they can insert the DBS in that section of the brain. That's right. And if it's, you know, like Alzheimer's and memory that might be closer to the hippocampus mm -hmm. and not area 25. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it's using circuitry of the brain to, to implement, uh, to, sorry, implant electrodes, uh, and turning areas of the brain up and down, um, to see if they can help people. And it's, it's, it's accomplished using this kind of device, which we've talked about called deep brain stimulation. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, they're placing electrodes throughout the brain and uh, they're making holes in the skull, the size of a dime, mm -hmm. uh, putting electrodes in, and then the electrode is, is completely underneath the skin, uh, down to the pacemaker neurotransmitter in the chest. Um, and it has a remote control, just like a television, uh, and they can adjust how much electricity uh, are delivered to those areas of the brain. Mm -hmm. And then they can turn it up or down, on or off. Um, now about 100,000 patients in the world have received uh, DBS, uh, as it stands right now. That was like probably in 2014, but it's uh, probably not too much more than that. Um, and, um, but, uh, the video shows you, uh, some examples of, of how they use it to treat movement disorders and mood disorders and cognition. And, mm -hmm. um, so I wanted you to take a look. I know you have it queued up. Yeah. Um, if it, you can queue it up to, um, four minutes and 10 seconds, uh, you'll see something very interesting. Okay. This is Dr. Lozano. Now, the first example I'm going to show you is a patient with Parkinson's disease, and this lady has Parkinson's disease, and she has these electrodes in her brain, and I'm going to show you what she's like when the electrodes are turned off, and she has her Parkinson's symptoms, and then we're going to turn it on. So this looks something like this. So the electrodes are turned off now, and you can see that she has tremor. Can you touch, can you try to touch my finger? That's a little we're now going to turn it on. It's on. We'll just turned it on. And this works like that, instantly. That's incredible. So we'll have clips of this on, on the website, but basically she's shaking like a leaf and like really bad. And then he hits a button and then suddenly she stops shaking. It's... So it's He's using electricity to actually make up for for all the chaos that's going on and or not working right in the brain. Um, Amazing! It's 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 unbelievable. I mean, it's you know the the difference between shaking in that way. It's not related to misbehavior of twenty five thousand neurons in that part of the brain. Um, they know now how to find those troublemakers and tell them, hey, that's enough. 
stop doing that, yep. you know, and they do it with electricity. So they use electricity to dictate how they fire and how we try to like block um, misbehavior using electricity. So they're suppressing the activity of abnormal neurons. Well, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense because our brain is electrochemical. So there, there's electricity in there. So the thing that that amazes me is how they can target very specific areas. And, yeah. And I guess they've learned that through brain imaging. Well, and again, you know, they're, they're the the major functioning ones. You know, there are some things that they haven't been able to tap into. But, right. you know, as far as balance, memory, mood, you know, um, these are, you know, uh, very, very big ones. And yeah. the next one uh, you'll see an example of um, they started to use a DBS technique in other problems um, one that's actually very fascinating that they encountered was this case of dystonia, mm -hmm. um, which is it's this uh, disorder uh, affecting children, and it's genetic, uh, and it involves uh, a twisting motion. So these children get progressively more, uh, more and more twisting until they can't breathe, and they get sores and urinary infections, and then they die. Do you mean their their physical bodies are twisting? Yeah, that, yes, absolutely, and you'll see it in the video. Uh, so in 1997, um, Dr. Lozano was asked to see this young boy. Um, so this goes back that far, mm -hmm. um, and you know um, he has this genetic form of dystonia. Uh, there are eight children in the family; five of them have dystonia. Wow! So if you go to six twelve. Um, you'll see uh, this uh, nine-year-old boy. Okay, here we go. So here he is. This boy is nine years old, perfectly normal until the age six, and then he started twisting his body. First, the right foot, then the left foot, then the right arm, then the left arm, then the trunk, and then by the time he arrived, within the course of one or two years, the disease onset, he could no longer walk, he could no longer stand, he was crippled, and indeed, the natural progression as this gets worse is for them to become progressively twisted, progressively disabled, and many of these children do not survive. So he is one of five kids. The only way he could get around was crawling on his belly like this. He did not respond to any drugs. We did not know what to do with this boy. We did not know what operation to do, where to go in the brain. But on the basis of our results in Parkinson's disease, we reasoned, why don't we try to suppress the same area in the brain that we suppress in Parkinson's disease, and let's see what happens. So here he was, we operated on him, hoping that he would get better. We did not know. So here he is now, back in Israel, where he lives, three months after the procedure, and here he is. Yeah, and another incredible uh, sight to see. The, the kid was all twisted, he couldn't walk, he was crawling on his belly. And then after the procedure, he was just walking down the hall like like normal, like nothing like, ever happened. Like a regular little boy, yeah. Yeah. And now he's in university, he leads a normal life. Uh, apparently, it's been one of uh, Dr. Lozano's most satisfying cases that he's ever done because uh, he restored movement and walking to this kind of kid. Yeah. Um, so now they realize they could use the technology not only in circuits that control movement, but 
now it could control other things. Um, so now they worked on mood. So mm. they decided to take on depression and because um, it's so prevalent and they're you know, there are a lot of treatments for depression, medication, psychotherapy, and even electroconvulsive therapy, CT. Right. Um, but there's still millions of people and, you know, 10 to 20% of patients um, with depression who don't respond. Mm -hmm. And it's it's those patients that they, that they really want to help and um, see if they can use this technique. So uh, what they did was they compared what's different in the brain of someone with depression and someone who's normal. Mm -hmm. So that's where the PET scan uh, came in and they can see, you know, and, and we'll put those scans up. And I think we have already on the website or I have before. Um, and you can clearly see where area 25 is, is uh, all red, mm -hmm. um, which is the sadness center of your brain. Um, so uh, they're, they're lit up. They're, they're burning up the red hot, the hotter, their thermostats at the hundred degrees and the other areas of the brain uh, that are involved in drive and motivation are just shut down. So then they wondered, can, could they place electrodes in the area of sadness, uh, and, and see if, if they can turn down the thermostat and, right. um, turn down the activity and, and, you know, what would be the consequence of that? Um, so they went ahead and implanted electrodes in patients with depression. Um, and that was with Helen Mayberg from Emory University. Um, and it was right at area 25. And what year uh, was this, roughly? Uh, this was, I believe, around 2005. Okay. Um, was the first uh, that study. Um, and um, uh, in the top scan uh, that you'll see... Um, before the operation, the, the sadness area is red hot, so literally red, and the, the frontal lobes are shut down and blue. Um, and then after three months uh, of that continuous stimulation, 24 hours a day, um, or six months, you know, it's a trial, um, so it's reversed. Um, but they're able to drive down area 25 down to a normal level uh, and then turn back online the frontal lobes of the brain. Um, and they indeed saw that they're really striking results in the patients with, with severe depression. Mm -hmm. So uh, the trials are, are going well. And um, I really think with this, with this new uh, MEG imaging, which is even, uh, you know, is real time uh, digital picture of the brain mm -hmm. um, can make this even, uh, you know, uh, even more, uh, uh, just a big miracle success. So my question to you, <clears throat> you have some tremors in your hands, uh, from, I guess that's from past treatments from electroshock or, or I'm not sure where you, where it's coming from. Um, it's, uh, the jury's still out. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to really know what it's from. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, at a base level, it's the anxiety. And if my anxiety is worse, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I just, I'm not, it, it causes a physical symptom. Right. Um, but they're probably, you know, there, there's obviously with all the ECT shocking that I had, uh, and then obviously 12 hour brain surgery, um, you know, there are, uh, there are issues going on in there that, uh, and of course there, there are, uh, 
uh, you know, higher risks for me to develop these other neurological uh, issues possibly later on uh, because, you know, this, again, it's 24-hour electrical stimulation, um, so things can get affected and, um, you know, and, you know, you never know what, what could happen, but I'm, that's not anything I'm going to think about. Right. So uh, <clears throat> my question is the, the tremors could be a result of the DBS or, or is it something that the DBS could eventually clear up? Well, I think that that's what they're in the process of doing. Yeah. Uh, and they've gone down since my anxiety has gone down mm -hmm. and since we've changed it to the other level. Right. So, and clearly, if you remember, we had that discussion where we were kind of, it was kind of like reverse polarization. And, yep. uh, and so like, yeah, I was feeling, you know, I wasn't feeling as down, um, but my anxiety was up and yeah. that, you know, usually didn't work that way. And then of course, now this setting, uh, is sort of more traditional, um, more grassroots, more proven in the study. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's more, uh, more, uh, regulated, yeah. you know, so it's, um, well, it seems to be doing the trick. So that's, that's the good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're using this for, uh, Actually, now the, the, the last thing that they, they thought of was, could, they literally, was his question, could he use uh, brain stimulation to actually make you smarter? Huh. Uh, and I think everyone would be interested. Uh, yep. But what they were trying to do is turbocharge the memory circuits mm -hmm. in the brain. So placing electrodes in the circuits that regulate your memory and uh, yep. your cognitive function thinking and uh, just see if it can turn up their activity. Right. Um, so uh, they're not going to do this to normal people. They're, they decided to do it to uh, patients with uh, Alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. uh, who had cognitive memory deficits. Right. Um, and, you know, the main symptoms of Alzheimer's is, is that. So um, they place electrodes within that circuit's um, it's actually called the formix, uh, which is the, the highway in and out of that memory circuit. Um, so they wanted to, the idea was to see if they can turn uh, the on the memory circuit and whether that in turn can help the patients with Alzheimer's. Right. Um, so it, it turns out that in Alzheimer's, it's a, um, there's actually a huge deficit in glucose utilization. Mm. Um, the brain is a is it's kind of a hog when it comes to using glucose. I think that's what I was telling you earlier. Yeah, uh, it uses twenty percent of all your uh, and only weighs two percent, uh, but it uses ten times more glucose uh, than it should based on its weight. Wow. Yeah, so twenty percent of all glucose in your body is used by the brain. Um, you so you go from being normal to having mild cognitive impairment which is then a precursor for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. uh, and then areas of the brain, you know, they just stop using glucose and they just shut down, they turn off. Um, so what they see in those areas, uh, uh, and we'll show the, the pictures, um, but uh, areas in red um, are around the ribbon of the brain, around the edge, and they're getting more and more blue until they just start shutting down completely. Yeah. Um, so it's analogous to having a power failure in the in area of the brain, uh, like a regional power failure. Yeah. So 
the lights are, are out in a part of the brain with Alzheimer's disease. Um, but the question is, are the lights out forever? Can they turn the lights back on? Uh, can they get those areas, uh, the brain, to use glucose again? And they did it. And they're doing it. Um, so it's now in clinical trial, and, and they're operating in, same as my, well, my trial is 40 patients, there's 50 patients with early Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. to see if it's safe and effective, and, and if it helps them neurologically. So that that's incredible. Um, the the question is going to arise, of course, because most most people who have Alzheimer's are pretty old, um, or it starts affecting them as they get older, and can well that that's not necessarily the case, actually. Oh, okay. I don't I don't know. Well, I don't know what exact numbers are, um, but uh, no, a lot of times forties, uh, fifties. Is when you get early onset and right. and the the speed of, of of you know the things shutting down vary. So uh, you know you can get it definitely as early as, as as our age. So then I would think that uh, patients that are probably more likely to be able to get uh, this treatment for Alzheimer's would be on the younger side because brain surgery for someone who's eighty might might be a little much yeah yeah i would say so although it's um you know it it really despite what they're working in you know it's it's a uh, it's a relatively safe procedure mm -hmm. um you know of course you're putting them under um and you're working in their brains yeah um but um uh, i don't think they're working on particularly the like the elderly right there's also some evidence, though, already that they might be able to help the re uh, the repair of damaged areas of the brain using electricity. Really? And that's brand new. Yeah. Um, it's something for the future to see. Um, but, you know, the, uh, not only change the activity, but also some of the, the reparative uh, functions of the brain, um, they think, can be harvested. Wow. It involves multiple disciplinary work. Um, it involves the uh, engineers, imaging scientists, uh, regular scientists, neurologists, psychiatrists, neurosurgeons, um, you know, and uh, there's a lot of excitement. Yeah. It's incredible stuff. I mean, it really sounds like science fiction um, that we can literally turn parts of the brain up or down or on or off. Uh, That's right. It's you saw just, you know, as I tried to explain to you, and, and really my, my cousin Jay uh, sort of said it first. It was, you know, after we did the remission show, and then the very next morning he called me, and I just said, I, I, I can't, can't talk. Right. Uh, he just said it was like an on and off switch. Yeah. Uh, and he's never seen that. You know, people generally sort of go downhill and get worse. Right. As, you know, me, it's just boom, you know, and just as you saw that woman and um, you people listening will see it in the clips we put up, but yep. you know, she was completely, she had very terrible tremors, um, and then just stopped. Well, and, and it's amazing to think that we're still pretty much in the infancy of this type of treatment. Oh, um, don't I know it? Yeah. And it's, it's not been easy. It's all still pretty experimental, uh, with, you know, obviously great results so far, uh, which, merit further study 
Yeah, it's kind of like like somebody who eats fire for a living. It, like, <laughs> like for me, it's like it, it's it's terrible being in, you know, you know, not behind the the technology, but at the same time, it's really exciting. Yeah, tightrope walker. I don't know what you want to use, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's both of it. It's like part of it is like pissed off. You know, yeah. I mean, just starting at forty seven, but. I'll be a wiser man for it, I guess. And well, and just think about if if this had happened, you know, years ago before all this technology existed, you wouldn't have had a chance. Oh yeah, no, it, uh, I could probably pick out areas of the timeline of my life where, uh, yeah, it would have been that would have been the last thought I had. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, it definitely saved my life. So, uh, but it, it is strange that I ended up back here through, uh, you know, the only way they could intervene is doing an intervention. It was weak, but it, uh, yeah. maybe it led to where I'm at. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up being here and then, you know, uh, just uh, a short while after my father had gotten killed. So it just like just i felt no control even even more than i did before and it was just it was right. just a done deal um and yeah. then just recommended to me just that, you know there's this brain surgery they're doing like whatever you know sign me up like it was a golf game yeah yeah it's and, like uh, uh, whatever it's not gonna hurt <laughs> it's not gonna work i mean it, no because nothing works on me i'm i'm you know whatever uh, and look where we are now yeah uh, just well, back then you felt like oh, I have nothing to lose, so I might as well. I mean, if I die on the table, I die on the table. Well, I mean, you know, I, I didn't have that uh, neuroscience background, and um, and I simply was in a place that, you know, sure. I mean, I did witness and try. You know, I, I was always with a doctor. I mean, yeah. you know, um, and I was always on medication. So, you know, years and years and years, it's just you just you're unfigureoutable. Right. And, you know, you're a lemon and that's it. And so let's just end it now because I can't take the pain. And, you know, everyone would just, no, you got to keep going because they can't take it. Right. But I had to go. It was too much. And uh, that's all I'm going to think about it because uh, I haven't had a, uh, a suicidal thought, uh, let alone a, you know, a major depressive thought uh, since you know, since we made this change uh, yeah. at the end of August. So amazing. We'll see how tomorrow's appointment goes and uh, I'll update you um, and the blog and everything, um, you know, as soon as I get back and I'm sure it's just going to be basically thumbs up to the magnetoencephalography. I want to find out if any of the other patients uh, uh, have had it done. Right. Uh, to help sort of steer them in their in the right direction. So, so is your your appointment just a, a checkup, just kind of you telling them what what's been going on and yeah, in the past we would just you know been trying this random you know uh, level and intensity and yeah. uh, hope for the best, fingers crossed, blah blah blah. You know, I want yeah. to kill <laughs> and uh, I see in a month. So you know, a month to him is nothing. A month mm -hmm. to me is like a four years of you know right physical mental torture but um no um uh it's been solid as a rock and, and and we remember i was trying to get that consistency not the ups and downs right exactly well, i've had that too so uh 
right now, unless it's a complete coincidence or a fluke, um, it's the digital imaging that that really was able to see where we need to set the dials. Right. Yeah. And you know. now, don't forget to keep the batteries charged. <laughs> I used to check it uh, once a week. Uh, now I've been checking like every other day. Yeah. Um, it uses a regular nine volt alkaline battery, um, so I do have to change those pretty often. But do you change check- it? You have to go in to change it. No, I'm just talking about the the, um, the remote control that checks. Oh right! Oh, 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 I see. I see. No, I can. I can. I, the only thing that functions that I have on it are checking the battery levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it shows you the level of the battery inside, just for the remote control. Right. Uh, and then it shows the you know the battery if it's trickling in the unit. Uh, and I can also shut it off if I wanted to. So if I was going on a plane or whatever. Right. Uh, right now I'm too paranoid to touch anything, so yeah. nothing's going off. Right. Um, but yes, I'm checking it all the time. And if I have to sleep, you know, in front of his office <laughs> naked um, and crapping on the floor, uh, I will have that surgery in time to make sure that nothing uh, gets disturbed. So to update the battery, you, you, it's a surgical procedure? Yeah. I have it about uh, because of the intensity that I'm usually at. Now, last time I asked him, what intensity did he set it at? And he said, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you. That's when he put it at the first uh, level for the, from yeah. the MG study. But he said, because I don't want you to have any thoughts or preconceived, you know, he knows yeah. how I analyze everything. Right. So I'm going to find out tomorrow. I still don't know. So, uh, but at the level I was at, usually above a seven, um, I, I have a change, you know, about once every, but once a year, once every year in a few months. Yeah. So it'll be due probably uh, Christmas time, and uh, and it's a, as opposed to like somebody who actually has a heart pacemaker, those last ten years. Oh wow! So I have to have a surgical procedure basically once a year. But again, that's like uh, you know, yeah, that's just like a burping contest for me. Well, and I'm sure as the technology improves, they'll get better batteries in there that last longer. Uh, well, they're they're working on the rechargeable. Ah, um, nice. And uh, they do have them, um, and, but they don't last that long. And actually, you have to I think go into for four one hour sessions where you have to just sit there holding it up to your chest, you know, watching TV or whatever. Oh. Uh, so it's it's kind of uh, crappy. So they're they're coming out with a better one, and hopefully, they'll change the device out. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Maybe but eventually right now, you'll you'll be able to just plug into your outlet at home and and charge yourself. <laughs> yeah, like me in the mobile, just sitting there in the corner. Of the right, room. exactly. Yeah, you, you exactly. just have a little USB port on your side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If the Wi-Fi starts going, I'll just get no. Just move my ear a little bit here, <laughs> you know. So, um, so it's all good news, and uh, thank you all for listening. And um, uh, I hope all you people that I've seen writing on Facebook who are uh, are very sad and and, and seemingly uh, uh, just kind of sick of things. Um, right into the show, right directly to me, so we can talk and you know let me give you some uh, some real you know personal experience and um, you know some perspective because uh, they, they got so much going on here that 
um, you, you got to just, uh, you know, stay with it because uh, amazing things can happen. Totally. And, and think of Doug as your peer support because that's really what he is. He knows yeah, what he's talking like about. Yeah, it's like basically getting Rocky Balboa as your boxing trainer. I mean, because <laughs> my, you know, case has been extraordinarily long-lasting uh, and so much damage in the brain, but also just a, a severely intractable case. Um, so, you know, uh, your odds are good with me. <laughs> Great. Uh, you know, and I, and I, I just, you know, if I, if I see somebody else that I've helped, I mean, you know, it's great for both of us and it's great for, you know, it's just, it's all positive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for the updates. Absolutely. And we'll get those, um, the images and uh, a couple of clips from the videos up on uh, the Unhinged Podcast uh, website and also on the Facebook page as well. So that's our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at UnhingedPC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhingedpodcast. Also, be sure to check out our website if you haven't done so already. It's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week. Take care.